Network, a podcast designed for women working in financial services and financial technology. I'm Cheryl Brown, Chief Engagement Officer at Females and Finance. I'm also an international speaker on social and digital marketing, too. On The F Word, you'll meet leaders in the community, as well as learn more about recruiting, training, advancing, and retaining quality female talent. Let's take a listen to today's episode. We're speaking with Julie Kratz of Pivot Point. Julie is a highly acclaimed leadership trainer who focuses on women leaders to build winning plans. She holds an MBA from Kelly School of Business at Indiana University, is a certified master coach, and is a certified unconscious bias trainer. She is also the author of two books, Pivot Point, How to Build a Winning Career Game Plan, and One, How Male Allies Support Women for Gender Equality. And I have to say, Julie was just the natural selection when I thought about who would be the first guest on the F Word. So Julie, welcome to the show. Oh, thanks so much for having me, Cheryl. I like to tell listeners how I meet guests because I get questions like, how do you know such cool people? And I have to admit, some are just by accident. Some are a little more leveraged, but we had a couple of common friends. And when I saw the work that you do, I just knew instantly, I'm like, oh, Julie has to be my friend. She's going to be my new friend. <laughs> Whether you wanted to or not, you were going to be my friend. <laughs> so I would love to have you tell everyone your story because your work is very niche in the area of training. And mm-hmm. I want you to maybe walk us down what led you to teach leadership and, uh, and especially the space that you're filling in that leadership role of what you're teaching. Yeah. Well, I appreciate that, Cheryl. The, um, the work that we do has over the years focused on developing women as leaders and, you know, as I was a couple years into this and speaking at a lot of women's conferences and talking at a lot of women's retreats about quote unquote women's challenges, you know, I kept looking around and seeing women talking to women about the problems that we face. And I kept thinking, huh, well, what about the other 50% of our population? What do they think? Uh, and that's when I really started to notice these men that I now affectionately call allies that are really stepping into the conversation in a very big way, privately and publicly supporting women. And we did a lot of research, just like you did for your book. Talked with women all over the country, men all over the country that were either experts uh, in this area or just happened to be kind of the everyday ally and everyday women leaders that were doing effective things to build their careers. And time and time again, the research came back to this theme of allyship, you know, as these people that step into your life as mentors, advocates, coaches, sponsors, you know, our allies wear a lot of different hats. And it's really on the heels of allies that my career has gotten to where it is too. And and so just reflecting on my own journey, it was these everyday acts that were such a big deal that helped me be a better version of myself and, and help me learn and help me flourish as a business owner. I, I never dreamed I would have my own business, but it's certainly, I feel so fortunate to get up in the morning and do work that's truly aligned with my real purpose. You know, you just said something that hits me square in my heart because I would not be where I am in financial services without strong male allies. Mm-hmm. And I think it's one of the things that probably differentiates my female-focused group in financial services because we do embrace and endear 
our male allies. I think they're a very important part of the solution in a male-dominated community mm-hmm. that we work within. So tell me why um, and how some of the work that you're doing is important to the group of, you know, the community that I work within with women in financial services and financial technology, because we really can't have one without the other. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Well, it's interesting, Cheryl. Uh, as you know, you were on my podcast for season two about candid conversations, and uh, and you introduced me to a great ally that we also had um, in Eric Brotman. So thank you for that. Um you know, financial services is interesting. I, I spent some time in my career in financial services, so I absolutely see the male-dominated nature of the industry. However, if you look at most industries, I mean, actually, there isn't a single one <laughs> that I have yet to find that's not male-dominated. You know, people often share education or healthcare as examples of that. Yeah, maybe in the trenches, but up at the top, it is male-dominated as, as well as nonprofits even are, are largely run by men. So, you know, if you think about financial services, and and I don't think you're um, uh, di- dissimilar from the other industries facing this kind of male-dominated issue, but it's going to look and feel different, right? Um, especially in technology, like we have done a pretty crappy job historically of creating an inclusive environment for women in tech roles. So thinking about um, the industry and what we can do to band together, that's why I love your Facebook community is a great place where women can come and share their challenges with women that understand what it's like to be them. Um, I find creating a safe place for a vulnerable, real conversation where stories can be shared and advice can be given and women can be sounding boards for each other, absolutely still critical. You know, the feedback sometimes I get is like, oh, great, you know, Julie, you want to involve men. So this is a safe place for me as women in my community. Now men are going to come in and dominate again. Absolutely not. Um, Just as you have eloquently done bring them into the conversation, help them understand it's still about women and women's empowerment, but you have a role in it. That could be simply listening. That could be practicing empathy. That could be curious um, to learn and understand how you can support a woman. Allyship takes on, again, all sorts of different roles. Um, And so thinking about you know, financial services and the industry you serve and those that are likely to list it on this podcast, I would encourage you to think broadly about connection as women and where are your safe places to share and be vulnerable and learn from each other and who are your allies? You know, who are you engaging? Do you have a mentor? Do you have a sponsor? Do you have someone that advocates on your behalf? Um, Women are 54% less likely than men to have those strategic relationships. It's just, it's silly. We're great relationship builders, just not of the strategic (laughs) career building nature. Um, And so I think in this industry, that's absolutely critical. You know, it's funny, you were talking about uh, male-dominated world pretty much across the board. And I found it was really fascinating. I, I actually took a moment and paused because I saw that Revlon appointed their first CEO as a woman. (laughs) <laughs> and I remembered, I, I honestly remember seeing that, like scrolling through LinkedIn and I actually stopped and I, I backed the bar back down over the article. Yeah. And here I just naturally thought that, you know, an industry about aesthetics of makeup and things would be right. naturally more women prone, right? So I started yeah. going and looking at who owned the companies or who were the present CEOs or the, you know, COOs and things. Shocking, and it, isn't it's it? It's men. 
it's yep. men. They're and everywhere. I, <laughs> I don't, it, it's funny as CEOs, you know, um, if your listeners aren't familiar, McKinsey has a great report that they publish every year um, called Women Matter. And it's yes, staggering. Heard of that. Yeah, it's staggering. I mean, 5% of CEOs still women. It's actually decreasing. So when people say it's getting better, all this awareness, you know, me too, go women. Yeah, I, I'm not seeing that in the results in the data because even, you know, female consumer led companies are led by men. Yes. And you have to wonder how that affects the products right, from a male lens. Well, and that goes to the pink tax that people speak of oftentimes mm -hmm. too, that they upcharge on items that are specific to women. And, you know, you also talked about the tech community. And I think that a lot of that lies in a responsibility in the STEM Mm. Uh, growth for girls, right? And mm -hmm. being able to provide an atmosphere where it's where it's inviting to them to come in and learn. Because I remember, as I mean, I'm almost 50 years old, and I remember being a young girl, and you know, they wanted to shove me into home ec. Mm -hmm. They wanted to shove me into, and I and I, hey, you've seen my Instagrams and my, and my Facebook. <laughs> There's no doubt about that. But I also, you know. Um, I shied away from things that I thought I actually enjoyed. So for example, mm -hmm. one of the in school was I took, uh, you know, I took shop and I kind of liked it. I like power tools and, so <laughs> I know, and people who know me well, uh, I, so I recently went shooting for the first time in my entire life. I went to a shooting range cause it was on my bucket list. I wanted to learn to know what it meant to hold that and, and mm -hmm. pull, release a trigger and uh, I have to tell, it frightened me at first, if I'm going to be perfectly honest, it was this more the sounds, mm -hmm. but I uh, got my, we started off and I was actually a really good shot. And Daryl, he looked at me and he's like, you're like a sharpshooter. Who knew this? You know? And I said, I didn't realize I had it in me. So it was things that I was not, uh, when the guys were able to go do that as kids, oh, don't leave, Cheryl doesn't need to go. She's a girl. Right. He's a girl. Right. And think about the message we're sending to young girls every day about things you should be doing and shouldn't be doing. It's everywhere. And, you know, as I reflect on my own experiences too, I, I liked boy toys growing yeah. up. But there's just, you know, my mom, I was raised by a single mom. She didn't gender things, but you just have kind of a natural bias towards buying the dolls versus, yeah. you know, the cars and the things that crash and the risk-taking toys. So, yeah, and I'm the one who... The, the power tools come out and I'm like, ooh, it's like squirrel yeah. for me. I get all excited. But it's interesting. They also, I think something too you touched on was really important. You talked about the men who are wanting to create that allyship. I find more often than not that when I'm in, not so much advertised, so like I'm not going to go to Facebook or LinkedIn or someplace online and really maybe see them say this, but when my mm -hmm. private conversations with men, they're saying they want to learn more about equity and mm. empathy and mm. what that means and how to work with women because they see that, that there's a natural, uh, you know, solution to the problem of, you know, qualified talent out there. But at the same time, they're thinking, I don't really know how to, they go the path least traveled, right? So I think oh, yeah. what you do is extremely valuable and valid going into, you know, not just 2018, 2019 beyond, but for all avenues, not just financial services, but beyond yeah. that too. So I think that's really interesting. What are some of the uh, maybe specific roadblocks that you're seeing when you work with clients when it comes to this space of allyship and mm -hmm. women in leadership? 
You know, I, I think it's what you just articulated, Cheryl. People aren't sure how to start the conversation. You know, they're not, <clears throat> they think about something like diversity or gender equality, like, wow, we don't have that figured out yet. So let's just kind of poo-poo that one and move on to something else that's more business related. And, and you're right. I mean, the results of diversity and gender equality, it's a staggering numbers of higher profitability, better ideas, better decisions are made. Um, you know, I often share men and women together. It's a yin-yang effect. We need each other. It's not about all women advancing at men's expense. It's not a zero-sum game. We actually make the pie bigger when we work together. Um, so when I work with organizations, a lot of time they're, they're fearful and they'll say something like, you know, just so you know, we don't have this figured out yet. Or just so you know, someone might say something that's inappropriate. And I like, I'm like, ooh, yeah, let's get this started. I love yeah. when people say things that are uncomfortable because it shows that they're experiencing some pain. And what I know from my research and where I see growth happen in organizations is growth can't happen without pain. It can't happen without discomfort. Change is uncomfortable. And so in order for us to have a productive conversation, it needs to be authentic. It needs to be real. People need to say things that are, I don't even know if it's inappropriate, but just maybe things that aren't politically correct. That's okay. Because the only way we learn is by expressing ourselves fully, being heard, and listening to others. And that's, um, and that's where, like you said, the empathy comes in. That was the number one ingredient we really found for our allies as they had this natural um, or developed skill on empathy. And that meant they listen more than they speak. Uh, they don't give as much advice and save the day for women. It's much less about um, being an advisor and much more being a coach where you're kind of channeling your inner Yoda, I call from Star Wars, and seeing helping somebody see what they're capable of without telling them and rescuing them um, through your own power. And so these men are just amazing that are out there everywhere. So I encourage your listeners as women, if you feel lonely and you're probably one of the few women in your office, I suspect, you know, you, the power of having women together is incredible. But what I would offer is reaching out a hand towards a man that maybe you see that's not got this all figured out. Maybe he feels a little uncomfortable on educating him on how he could be an ally and maybe engaging him as an ally for you. You know, perhaps he's somebody that's done something you want to do, um, like a mentor. Perhaps he's somebody that's in a decision-making um, capacity at your organization, like a sponsor. Or it's just somebody that could advocate on your behalf if they knew where you wanted to go in the organization or what kind of projects you wanted to work on, what kind of clients you want to work with. So um, women don't self-advocate <laughs> as much as our male counterparts do. And there's tons of examples of this. So, you know, really... Um, I, th I think for your listeners out there, just the simplest thing you can do is start the conversation and it doesn't have to be perfect. I love that. And because one of the things I was going to ask you about was this idea of common misunderstanding about the work that you do. And I will say that one thing that um, you touched on slightly, uh, and probably it could be its own podcast episode, to be honest, but is this idea that one... Any other type of work that you're talking about doing in the change is not a one workshop and done type of environment. Mm -hmm. This is a, it's like, it's like working out, right? If you want to change your body, you don't right. go one workout to the gym. Everybody Run would a do marathon. That. Oh yeah. 
you know, I'm just going to, I'm just going to run a marathon. I have never ran. And if you, anybody who knows me well, I'm, this is not a marathon running body. <laughs> Nor I am I. Exactly. So it's, you would train for that. And I think the same is true here. And I'll tell you something else. Talk about having an uncomfortable conversation. I recently uh, put something out to a group of friends and I said this, I'm a fairly extroverted person with being a professional speaker. I'm out on the road a lot. I talk to groups of people. And yet some of the most uncomfortable conversations are still even uncomfortable for me mm-hmm. being in that space, right? So if Mm -hmm. it's uncomfortable for me, I want you to take someone who's very introverted, very analytical, very inside, and what's a propensity for them to ask the uncomfortable questions? It's going to be Mm -hmm. much lower oftentimes, you know, and I realize I'm overgeneralizing, but one of those conversations is about, um, I can imagine for the men working with women, because especially in light of the Me Too movement, and, and I know much like you, my environment was not created because of that. I think that was just something that came to light because it was a matter of timing. And, you know, my idea of going into working with women in financial services and financial technology really was about male allyship and Mm -hmm. moving the ball forward in recruiting and training, advancing, retaining more women. So I'm kind of curious what some of the common misunderstandings are that you find in the work, because for me in the research that I did, it's having uncomfortable conversations, Mm -hmm. men or women. Okay. Mm -hmm. And I think too, that a lot of times people think that organizations or movements like what you're doing or what I'm doing are about male poo-pooing and they're not. Mine is much more about gender neutralization. Yeah. You know what I mean? Oh yeah. Yeah. And I, I I really like that. I mean, I'm a big fan of meeting people where they're at. And so if somebody really doesn't have the awareness they may need to get a little education on that. And it might be a little uncomfortable, like you said. Um, I call them candid conversations. And we have a whole podcast about how to start that conversation. So you're welcome to check that out on Pivot Point. Um, it's our podcast. But we'll make sure we link it too on your yeah. for this. Well, and Cheryl, I, I think just being comfortable, um, you know, bringing awareness to issues of like, hey, when you look around, you know, we're only 10, 15% women here at our firm. You know, what do you think we could do to improve that? That's, that's not a hard thing to say. Um, or did you know when there's gender balance at the top of organizations, profits are 21% higher according to McKinsey? You know, these are interesting questions to ask. And and as a woman, um, I don't think it has to fall all on us, right? Who do you know that's an advocate of this maybe already inside your organization that is in a power position that has influence and it's probably more likely to be a male, to be honest. How could you engage that person and say, hey, I really, I notice, I recognize what you're doing to support women here. I love that you're doing this. Um, how could you do more of it? Or, or could I ask for your help on something specifically? Um, what often our allies will say is that they're not doing anything special um, and they're often not recognized. So a lot of women in my workshops, you know, will say, oh, shoot, I really need to recognize someone that's been an advocate for me or a mentor for me. I bet he doesn't even know. And so that's really a great thing that you can do is acknowledge the ones that are already out there that are already being bold and and encourage them to do more and highlighting the specific behaviors for them that are most helpful. Um, And that, and that, that is such a rewarding uh, conversation to shine a light on something that they may not even realize that they're doing that is so powerful. See, I love that. And I think too, 
I know one of the things I wanted us to talk about was how do men feel about your work? Because I can tell you that the feedback that I have received about starting the females in finance community and the movement, writing the book, it's all been quite favorable. I've only had mm -hmm. a few of those guys. They know who they are. They're probably oh, yeah. not listening to my podcast and that's okay. <laughs> uh, that say to me, oh, you have a group for women. Well, that's not very inclusive. Right. Get that. And where's like, the men's group? The it's men's called group. every day. <laughs> <laughs> well, and my response to that oftentimes is, oh, I'm sorry. You've had the last 2000 you know, years. <laughs> right. Could you just give us a minute? Could you just give mm -hmm. us a minute? You know? And so, um, and then of course that's just catty and, and it's me. If you know me, I'm tend to be a little smart, especially if you read any of my blogs, I tend to be a bit of a, a smart, smart ass. But the point is that it's not about um, excluding anyone. In mm -hmm. fact, it's quite opposite. And I feel like it might be a little counterintuitive the way they see it when they first realize that. So for example, the Facebook group is women's. I only have women in that group. Sure. Uh, and it's created a very safe space and place. Yep. And you've seen the conversations. They're I can tell you that I haven't had one, not re, not one conversation that I've had to go in and 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 they've diplomatically disagreed with one with me with others, yeah. and it's really created a space of learning, um, and improvement, self improvement. Mm -hmm. The other part of it too, though, is how positive the women have been about talking about men, the good men that are out there helping and, and advocating for that space. And the good men are coming to me every day, literally mm -hmm. every day and saying, what can we do to help you? How, what more can I do? And so I'm just curious too about how the men feel about the work that you're doing when you go to workshops and you get up there and you have to talk about this space, knowing that there's, you know, multi, you know, there's different genders in the room that are mm -hmm. experiencing what you're saying. I don't know. I would never want any man to think that the work that I'm doing, and I, and I know they don't because I've created that safe place, and I think you have too, but I think what you've done is very well, unique, Julie. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, men have a mixed um, variety of emotion around this, and the rooms I like to be in are more gender balanced, where we ideally have 50-50. That doesn't happen very often. Um, it's much more lopsided. So what I see inside women's um, conferences, diversity conferences, is it's primarily women in the room, maybe 20% male, because they see the topic and they think, oh, okay, I can be included in this. 20% if you're lucky, um, to be quite honest. And they're the ones that already get it. So it's very much a preaching to the choir conversation. But it's recognizing them. It's helping them feel included. It's rewarding that behavior, encouraging them to do it more. So it's still important. But where I want to spend my time, um, and to your point about it's not a one and done conversation, where I like to spend my time is with leadership teams that are primarily male, which in corporate America are almost all of them, 80% on average male, uh, Caucasian male, in fact. And so spending time with those leadership teams that, you know, have a one, two, three women on them at most. And guess what? They're in HR marketing. It's very rare that women, COOs, CFOs, CEOs. So anyway, um, when I get into those rooms, it's really fun to sit around a table with the leadership team and you can kind of see the mixed array of emotions. Usually whoever's hired me is, is a male usually, and he's excited. He's like, yes, everyone's going to get on board. Mm -hmm. Um, and then the females are really excited because, like, yes, I finally get to talk about this stuff because every day I'm being interrupted and not listened to. My ideas are being taken credit for. So 
finally she's telling him what I've been wanting to tell them. And then you have like maybe a third of the room that's sitting back in the back with their arms crossed and their body language signaling they can't wait to leave. Why are they here? This is horrible. And, you know, just in a couple hours, I mean, I, I like to spend a lot more time with leadership teams, but even if I just have a couple hours, you can see the body language shift yeah. and the openness. And, you know, there's a little bit of like a calf smile, like still not loving it, but not hating it kind of reaction. And then no matter how much time I have, I always ask everybody for a commitment at the end. You know, what will you personally commit to from this conversation? You know, it's this much of your life. I want it to have an impact. And go around the room and in the small group, especially the leadership team, have everyone verbally commit. And it's always fun with those um, people that you got the sense that they didn't want to be there at the end to say, okay, you know, I'll get this kind of response like from a you know, kind of gruffer guy. I'll be like, well, you know, Julie, I didn't want to be here. And I'll shake my hand like, I know. <laughs> but you made this uncomfortable conversation about as comfortable as it could be. So I appreciate that. I learned to listen more. And, you know, it's something as simple as that. Or I learned I need to ask um, others how I can help them. Whatever it is. I mean, it's simple nuggets that people can pull. And if they just work on that behavior and make it a habit, that can lead to other new behaviors and habits. But you got to take one small step. Um, and so it, it's, again, it's meeting people where they're at and willingness to engage them, listen to them, um, provide a safe place for learning and, and for discomfort um, so that we can emerge stronger and better. You have to go through, again, that pain for the gain. I agree with that. You know, as you were talking and it kind of led me my mind, I, one of the things that I try to do as a speaker is I try at events that I go to that are mostly men, which financial services, mostly all of them. Right. Uh -huh. <laughs> but I mean, I really try to reach out to conference coordinators and um, the sponsors and mm -hmm. I ask them more for commitments around, I need your help. You know, because mm -hmm. I think this is a fantastic forum. And one of the things that I learned early on in speaking, when I used to get the speaker cards back and they would say things like, uh, not just specifically about me, but let's say a conference as a whole that I might've helped plan or been a part of. And sure. they would say things like, uh, it was an okay, it was an okay conference. Uh, I wish I could have gotten more out of it. I find that to be such a fascinating response because I almost always believe that the reason why the conference um, was only just okay was because everybody looked like that person. Mm -hmm. Right? Yeah. We do it a lot. Right? Okay. And so then you go to other ones where the conference speakers and the guests and the spot, everything is so diverse. Mm -hmm. You walk away and you feel invigorated like you right. it's because somebody else was different and i think trying to point that out is uncomfortable it's definitely uncomfortable because they oh, think yeah. oh well, this has always worked this is the way i've always done it and we're going to keep going <laughs> right but i wonder are there exercises or things that you can that you can suggest to people that are easy like takeaways like immediately they 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 stop listening to the podcast today and say I could do this because I know one thing that I ask of men that I talk to is I do two things really one is I ask them can they commit to looking at their admin staff that's predominantly female and working to lift those individuals up and and train and advance them because no one's more committed to their person, their people, their policies, their procedures than people who are already in place versus hiring somebody outside and bringing them in. Mm -hmm. but the second one is, 
can you commit to making an appointment with and or mentoring someone that is a woman mm-hmm. um, to help grow them, just to learn from them even? Because you'll learn as the mentor, they're going to equally learn from their mentee. Oh, yeah. No, I mean, the, the research shows you learn far more as a mentor than as a mentee. So those um, are exercises when I different. try to share. So I'm just yeah. curious if you have ones that you say, do this or try this or commit to that. Well, it's a very timely question. I just worked on my new keynote speech about this very subject. So I keep getting asked, you know, what is the you know, top 10 list of things I can do that are super tangible? It's like, great that you're talking about these big pillars for your research. I didn't even know that. I feel like complicated. <laughs> you're a perfect tee up, Cheryl. So yeah, I just worked through this list and I'm putting together a keynote right now where I can be very digestible kind of to your point about conferences you know what I'm starting to see happen is conferences are getting shorter um, and the sessions are getting shorter you know our attention spans (laughs) whether it's TED talk social media whatever I mean it's like 15 minutes you can keep people's attention I mean you could have a real tear-dricker story and still so and it's interesting when I do workshops I usually do like a 15-minute talk teach and then like 10 minutes activity and layer it, chunk it out like that, depending on my time frame. But what I'm working on right now is kind of a top 10 list of everyday behaviors, things that you can do that are super tangible conversations you can start um, inside your organization, which is quick snippets and stories. And then depending on my time frame, opening up for a Q&A. So then it's just all engaging, right? And then still everybody leaves with a commitment. Um, we can still build in some activities up front of like a parent share activity of, you know, who's been an ally for you and how do they support you? And at the end, what do you commit to share with somebody, find an accountability partner. Um, but yeah, I mean, back to your question, Cheryl, conferences are changing. And, you know, when you go into a conference and see people that look just like you and for anybody um, on the line or, you know, listening to this conversation, it may look very white male dominated in financial services conferences. I wouldn't be surprised. A lot of them do. Um, challenge that. You know, if you see what I call a mantle, all men on a panel, challenge it. Be like, where is the woman? Where's the diverse perspective here? We're missing something. And I think when you approach it that way is we're missing out on something. Like you said, you're missing out on energy. You're missing out on the power of diversity that we know bolsters our thinking and ideas. Um, We don't want to miss out, right? So how do you do it? And even in my own network, um, I've been challenged to diversify my network. And I could use excuses like I live in Indiana. I mean, that's BS, but I could say that. Or um, I could say, you know, I, I work with mid-career women. So that's who's naturally attracted to me. That's also true, but an excuse. Um, so I've actively worked to diversify my network. And what I've found is um, when you find a diverse person, just say even a person of color to use a, a simple example, they know other diverse people. So then they introduced you to other diverse people. Oh, what do you know? You've got a domino going. Yeah. You know, an LGBTQ person is going to know more LGBTQ people. Whatever it is that's important to you from a diversity perspective, find a person and ask them to introduce you to other people that are different as well. And you know, that conversation is so critical to growing us as people, not just professionally, personally. And I, will, I, I have been very uh, honest in being interviewed and talked to about the group because one of my biggest concerns is being, you know, a, a white middle-aged woman working in financial services. Oh, I'm yeah. not too far off the spectrum of what's out there. Uh, when I decided to write the book, 
I didn't want it to end up being something that was just a, Mm -hmm. a, you know, a manual of 365 other white middle-aged women. And I, and of course my first line of people that I went to, to talk about who are great people I should talk to, many of them do look like me. Okay. Mm -hmm. So I remember I picked up the phone and I called Jocelyn Wright at the American college. And I just said, you know, she's an expert in diversity and inclusion. And she and I have spoken for years. We've been at similar conferences. And for those who do not know Jocelyn, she is this amazing African-American wealth manager. And her if you've never had the luxury of listening to Jocelyn Wright speak, I encourage you to find a conference that she's at and listen to her. She is She's mm-hmm. powerful and inclusive and kind and empathetic. And I picked up the phone and I called her and I said, Jocelyn, I need your help. And I had to say the most uncomfortable thing I've ever think I've ever said, which is how do I make certain that I include more people who do not look like me? And her very first response was, thank you. Thank you for asking me because I knew that that was probably a difficult question. And that's me, extroverted, Cheryl's out there talking. So vulnerable. It was very um, but I needed to find a safe person to ask that, and she was. So mm-hmm. I, I encourage anyone to know that on this call, I am a safe person. Julie is a safe person. If you want to have those conversations, yep. you yep, can please. reach out to either one of us because I implore people to understand that I get discomfort, uh, but yeah. I, they want to grow themselves. And this is the way you do it, is asking right. that one question that you feel is uncomfortable. Yeah. Find a safe, I love that. Find a safety net, someone that can help you through it. You know, one gift that I had this year in my unconscious bias training was um, taking the implicit bias test. And for listeners, it's free through Harvard implicit bias, um, Harvard assessment. I, I forget the exact URL, but we can link to it. Oh, that'd be great. And, it's such a gift because there's six different areas. I actually just spent my last Saturday night with my best friend and her husband going through their own biases and their assessments. So yes, this is a sad reality that I do on Saturday nights. That's not sad. I mean, I would be, I would love that. I'm not going to lie. So fun. I mean, there's things like, so we're, um, most of us are biased on age, right? 90% of us prefer young people to older people. Um, Most of us have bias on color. Um, on race. Uh, most of us have gender bias. So there's all these categories. So you can take one that you, you just want to learn more about yourself. You don't have to share it with anybody. And it, it's proven. It's been around for 25 years. It's good stuff. And, and, you know, even the most outspoken advocates of diversity, you think about someone like Malcolm Gladwell is the famous example. He's written all these books on, on bias, like Blink and other things. He took the assessment and he has a bias towards people of color. And he's a person of color. So and he retook it and retook it and retook it. He still kept coming back. I, I myself have I have a slight bias there. I know it's it's vulnerable of me to share, but there's no way I could teach this stuff without checking my own bias and admitting we all have bias. I have it. And I had the gift in that training to sit around the table of women of color help me with strategies to expand my network. And I have since taken a lot of their advice and I do have a lot more um, men of color, which also have a higher propensity to be an ally, which I think they understand, right? They, they empathize a little bit more because they've had their own experiences. But women of color, that's been a big opportunity for me to meet people that are different than me, have different backgrounds than me. Um, and so it's been a great learning process. So I encourage listeners, if you want a, a tangible tip, check your bias, um, just check it out, you know, and have a conversation with someone that's safe for, for you. 
I keynoted a um, the Women in Insurance Leadership Conference in Chicago recently and talked about you know, marketing trends that are coming up into 2019. They had a breakout session afterwards that I went to on unconscious bias and the four women sitting on the panel may have been the most, um, they might've just really changed my life in a, in mm. a, what they re didn't realize may have been insignificant exercise. And the question was this, and you just hinted on it. She asked a group in the room, how many of you have a bias? Mm -hmm. And I'm telling you right now, only a third of the people raised their hand. Yeah, not true. I raised mine. Yeah. Because I'd already, but I sat there and then the lady said, I'm, and she leaned in very closely to the microphone and she said, I'm sorry, maybe I wasn't clear. How many of you have a bias? She repeats the question. And they all kind of are looking at each other. She goes, if every hand in this room is not raised, you're not being honest with yourself. Yeah, I agree. And I thought, I, I sat back and I thought, what a powerful exercise. And so for the you know, listeners to understand that bias doesn't mean bad. Mm -hmm. What's bad is when you don't recognize it and you continue to keep doing what you've always done to get what you've always got. It's mm -hmm. recognizing that, you know what, you have a bias and that's okay. But like a muscle, you have to exercise and say, mm -hmm. I have to get outside of my natural tendency to move toward that bias and I need to maybe sometimes take that load, that road less traveled. Yeah. It's a lonely place to be. I will tell you, I was, I was hurt by my results and I wanted to retake it. But the more I thought about it, you know, the other thing I encourage you to do is unpack it a little bit. Um, the reason we're all biased, she's absolutely right. We all are, uh, is that our brains are wired to recognize patterns, right? We have primal brains that like to make shortcuts and save the energy for harder, more complex decisions, which was super helpful when we lived in caves and, you know, we're hunted by saber-toothed tigers. Not helpful today in today's world where we really don't have any natural predators. And so we still have this fight or flight mechanism that kicks in when we see somebody that looks different than us. It's like, ooh, I don't know. I've seen this before and it looked like this. Boom, assumption and my behavior is gonna, you know, is as simple as lock, you know, who doesn't check the locks in their doors when, you know, maybe approached by a person of color on the street. That's a, an example that I think a lot of people can relate to. I remember my mom telling me to do that as a young child. It's still in my wiring and it's, it's unfortunate, um, but it's an auto response. As we have these auto responses all the time, what I've learned to do through my training and through leading these workshops is to check myself in the moment when that bias creeps in and I make an assumption about somebody that I'm not sure if it's true. Ask myself, how do I know that's true? Mm -hmm. What information do I have to confirm that this person isn't trustworthy or this person is just looking for this or whatever that this person dot, dot, dot thinking is and, and replace that narrative with one of curiosity you don't have to rewrite that script in your head. You just have to say, huh, I'm going to be curious to learn instead. Rather than make yeah. that assumption, I'm choosing to be curious. I remember I was in New York uh, last year with Daryl and I had my cell phone. I had used it all day to take pictures and it was running pretty low and I didn't bring my battery pack. So we went into this restaurant and I walked up to the front and I said, hey, I'm going to plug my phone in here. And the lady looked at me like I had four heads. <laughs> like, if that gets stolen... You know, I mean, she already knew. She goes, that gets stolen. I am not responsible. And I looked at her and I said, 85% of people are honest. I'm going to go with that. 
I I dumped it behind the counter and I walked back and, you know, Daryl and I had dinner and we get done. I walked up and fully charged and she looked at me and she's like, where did you learn that? And I said, I remember this is the ages me a hundred years ago, I feel like, but it was like, it was probably 20 years ago. Time magazine did a research on people and said in every study, 85% of people are pretty honest. Mm-hmm. They pick up money and give it back, or they would help yeah. a stranger out, or they not steal their car, or whatever you know. And so I just have always banked on so checking my own bias, right? I was like, mm-hmm. you know what, I'm going to go with that statistic, and I plugged it in, and I put my faith in the numbers. And so to your point, it's it's it was it's about checking yourself every time when that comes well, up. Well, I call that I call that assuming positive intent. So <laughs> assume positive intent of the person you're working I love with. That. You know, I often try to know that statistic. I have to look that one up. I, I usually say like, 98% of people are good people. Yeah, it was 85%. <laughs> you know, it was 25%, whatever. Today, See, yeah. I'm more optimistic than that. But, <laughs> you know, I usually share with people, most people don't get up in the morning, put their foot out of bed and think, huh, I can't wait to ruin Cheryl's day. I like, know. That's just, it's not a natural motivator. Unless you're a psychopath, it's unlikely that that's what someone's trying to do. It feels like that when someone's being difficult or saying or doing something you don't like, but it's not their intention. Their intention most likely is positive. And so that really helps when you're in conflict with somebody or if these gender issues in the workplace, if somebody says something and it's inappropriate, they probably don't know. And they probably had positive intention. It probably doesn't feel like that. Yeah. But again, flip the script and say, assuming they had positive intention, what might that have been? And it'll just naturally put you in that curious state versus that defensive or you know, offensive state. I love that. So as we wrap up, I love to ask people questions that they don't are not prepared for to learn more about them because it makes us puts us on the spot and go hmm. and I always answer the questions too so you're not going to be alone in this Julie so I have three questions for you so we can get to know you and then um, uh, ask you about yeah here we go so the first one is have you ever tried to do something that you know you'd be really bad at and what was it oh man yes so <clears throat> one of my Childhood funny stories is what I learned. I thought you were going to say traumas. <laughs> <laughs> it was. It did feel traumatic. I was thirteen, so it was painful. Oh, it was traumatic. Then ski club. So all my friends joined ski club, and I was thirteen, and very awkward. Um, physically, never quite, um, you know, agile, if you will. And so me as this awkward teenager was on top of a hill in Ohio, you know, an icy hill in Ohio. So this isn't a mountain with powder or anything, which is actually harder to ski on, by the way. And um, I went up with my best friend on the ski lift. And as we entered the top to get off on the ramp to hit the top of the hill, uh, she failed to tell me that you got off the ski lift. So I've never seen anybody ski, let alone get off a ski lift. So I just rode the thing around, <laughs> right? And can you imagine like those of you who ski, you never see somebody on the other side coming back. Yeah, I was that person. They had to shut down the ski lift, back me up and have me jump off. It was the most embarrassing thing. So I, I still ski sometimes, but to your point, it was a traumatic, very embarrassing experience. Oh my gosh. So mine is bowling. Mm. I do not know what it is, why I cannot make that thing go down (laughs) and not fall into the thing. Right. So we went out and I I think I was, I I think the first time that I really went and did like 
my friends of mine were on a bowling league when I was a kid. I was probably 14, about the same age. And so I had to always put the bumpers up mm. on the side to be able to participate, right? So then years later, um, I don't remember, what's the name of the show that uh, Tim the Tool Man Taylor was in? Oh, yeah. Humble that show. And he, he's bowling and I'm, his wife is literally knocking. I mean, she's striking out every single time, right? Every single time she's getting strikes and he's looking at her like, what is she doing? And then when they get to the end of the show, she says, this is all you say, Tim. And they all fall down. And and so I am not kidding. I went with friends, my son and some of his friends. We went bowling after I watched this episode and I'm like, all right, ball. And they all fall down. And I made it all the way down. Oh. I don't know if I willed the ball. <laughs> so to this day, I am an almost 50-year-old woman who still sings, and they all fall down when we go bowling because <laughs> I hate bowling. So that's my thing. The power of positive thinking. It is. There you go. I, I'm putting, I'm manifesting it into the world. That's what I figured out. Um, how about this? What store do you shop at the most? I'm a Midwesterner, and there's a Meyer across the street. I wish we had Meyer. We don't have Meyer in Missouri. <laughs> it just makes life so much easier. And I know, I mean, Amazon's great for things that you can wait a couple of days for, but I'm a mom, right, and a business owner. I'm very busy. So our Meyer, I'm probably in there like three times a week. I wish I had a more interesting store to share. but No, but I love me some Meyer, and I miss that. When I lived in Fort Wayne, we had Meyer. And so mm-hmm. when I moved back to St. Louis, you know, it's like, eh, 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 eh. But I I know that if I don't say target, Mm. (laughs) it's like the going joke. In fact, the other night I was just sitting there and I hopped up and I said, I think I'm going to run down to target. And Daryl's like, not really, you know. I'm like, I I haven't been there in a while. I miss it. It's been a couple of days. I got to go. They know my name. The girl at the front knows my name. That's how much I should. Yeah. I shop at target a lot. Good service. So they are. I love them. Um, how about this one? How long of a consecutive time have you spent in a car? Oh boy. So last summer we packed up the SUV with my husband, two children and his parents and headed out to Yellowstone from Indiana. Oh wow. Like 24 hours. We stopped once each way. So you were taking turns driving. Oh yeah. Yeah. And I was in the back. I was actually writing the book. Um, one about male allies. So I was in the back editing and writing. You're leaving <laughs> the forward to your husband. I appreciate you driving. <laughs> right. Well, we had four drivers. So it was great. Um, but yeah, we spent a lot of time in that car. It was very packed in with all of our stuff. So we, we called ourselves, you know, my last name's Kratz. We called ourselves the Kratzwalds, like oh, the Griswolds going across the country. It was it was such a fantastic trip. But it's one of those where you're like, wow, I can't believe we did that. That we just did this. I know. So I have to give props to my dad because when I was a child, my mom passed away when I was five. My father used to go to extreme levels. I mean, just extreme levels to make sure that we had wonderful vacations after my mom passed Mm. away. My mom passed away in September of 1977. And that following Mm. summer, we started going to Florida. Florida is 17 hours from Missouri. And this is the best part. It wasn't the 17 hours that we sat in the car and drove there, but my father always timed it so he could pull right up to Disney World. We got out of the car and we slept. We were refreshed. And he would take us to Disney World that first day, exhausted, 
And, and so to this day, I have such, when I see Disney World commercials, it's like the fondest yeah. thing I have. And I still yeah. remember that big uh, suckers that they used to have, like with the flavors that went around and around. Oh, yeah. stick. He would get us one of those. We would go to Disney World. My cousin Bonnie worked at Disney World, so she always got us tickets. We didn't pay to get in. Um, but I, and I remember riding the tram across mm. the thing, right? So unlike your speaker. <laughs> what great memories. I know, That's, but 17 hours he would get in that car and he'd drive it himself. There was no switching drivers and then take us straight to Disney World. So sounds like a great dad, sounds like a great male ally. <laughs> no, right? He was pretty good at that kind of stuff. So we'll we'll give him some mad props for for <laughs> all of that. But it's been the the best. So how do the listeners get in touch with you? What's the best way to contact you and find your resources? Yeah, we post on social media every single weekday at Next Pivot Point, just Next Pivot Point on Instagram, Twitter, um, and Facebook. And then on LinkedIn, Julie Kratz is our page, K-R-A-T-Z. And um, we're always looking to connect there, but also on our website, we've got great tools. We've got videos, workbooks, all for free to download. Um, lots of great do-it-yourself resources. Um, the five questions to get the gender equality conversation started in your organization could be a great first step. Um, that is free downloadable on our website. And that is nextpivotpoint.com. So I'm going to also add this because she didn't even plug it. I only read five, one, two, three, four, five newsletters every week. And your newsletter is one of them I read religiously Aww, every week. Thank you. Thank so, you for that. Yeah, I work hard I, on that. It's still, you, you know, blogging's interesting. It's kind of fading away, but I still find that brings a lot of people to my website with SEO. Oh, yeah. Um, and I have people like you that tell me that, like, I look forward to that. And so I, that really touches me. Well, you me. don't I produce crap. I mean, let's just be honest. I mean, the stuff that you're sending out in your newsletter is it is it pertains to both men and women so it's not, oh yeah it's very gender neutral and like i said i i only have and, and just so you know so who you know who you're in competition with in that five space <laughs> i'm being serious are people like marie forleo who oh. i love me some marie forleo so if anybody has never watched her she's amazing um she's also very much like you very oh, uh you know okay. very much about male allies and stuff and then um jill salzman Mm. She has a she produces a newsletter every day. Oh wow! I know, crazy, right? And I still read it because it's so good, and she knows that. But um, yours is definitely one of those top fives. Thank you. So you know what your competition is. What good company I'm in. I really appreciate that. Thank you. It's it's a passion of mine. We I love writing, researching new topics. So yeah, absolutely. You can subscribe on our website and get that in your inbox every other week. Um, We do a blog post about you know very short, digestible information, like you said, that's neutral that men and women can both. Um, used to have a productive conversation about this. It's fantastic. So I know that you and I could talk forever because we're both on such the same page about things, (laughs) but I wanted to say thank you to you for being on the show today and providing us a look into what gender equality unconscious bias training looks like, and as well as just a host of the other topics that you talked about today with the male allyship and emotional intelligence, and the list just goes on. So thank you so much. Thank you, Cheryl. It's uh, it's wonderful work you're doing. Thank you for doing it. Thank you for supporting women and male allies.
I appreciate that. So thank you for listening to today's episode of The F Word, and you can learn more about today's guest and the topics we covered in our show notes too. And if you love today's podcast, you know that you did. Please be sure to subscribe and don't keep us a secret. Share it and tag hashtag females and finance in your post so that we can engage with you as well. And we want you to always remember The F Word. It's where females and finance are not dirty words. Thank you for your time. (laughs)